The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd love for you to open it to Exodus chapter 15. Um, Exodus is probably the second easiest book in the entire Bible uh, to find because it's after the very first book. So it's Genesis, Exodus. Uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis, or excuse me, there I see I messed it up. Exodus 15. Um, today we're going to talk um, a, little about, a little about music. And actually over the next several months, we're going to talk a little bit about music, but not only about music. Um, so I love music. When I was growing up, my parents listened to um, like 60s, late 60s, early 70s rock. So we had one of those big, um, we had one of those big console stereos in our house. How many of you remember having one of those in your house, right? It's not just, a stereo isn't just something you carry around in your pocket. Um, like we had this big console stereo and it had a, you know, AM, FM tuner on it. We could play, we could listen to records. It had an eight track player, which is sweet. If you have no idea what an eight track um, player is, you have no idea what you're missing um, when it comes to that. So my parents were constantly playing music around us, um, late sixties, early seventies rock. Um, I would say the first, the first, um, band that I really got into was Fleetwood Mac. Um, my dad would drive me to school in the mornings. Uh, we grew up in, I, was, I grew up in Peachtree City, Georgia, south of Atlanta. My dad would drive me to school every morning in his Volkswagen Bug where he had the aforementioned eight track player and he had Fleetwood Mac rumors on eight track. Um, I have an eight track player at home. I'm looking for eight, for Fleetwood Mac rumors on eight track. So if you have one, come talk to me afterwards because um, I'd really like that. My dad would drive me to school and we would listen to Fleetwood Mac rumors every single day. And just over a period of time, like anytime I hear anything from that album, like I automatically associate that music with that time. And as I, as I grew older and I, I, I listened to different kinds of music and had all of these different musicians um, influence me, I began to associate different points of my life with the music that I heard. And you probably are the very same way. Um, my hunch is that you may not listen to the same thing today that you listened to years and years ago. Um, I'm kind of a mixed bag on that. I try to stay a little bit current on music, um, but, but I, I do like a lot of the older, a lot of the older things. Um, so I just think of different points in my life for me. Um, late 80s graduation from high school was U2 the Joshua Tree album. Like that, was, like that was my jam. That was the music that I listened to. Um, as, I, as I lived and uh, worked with Best Buy in the mid-90s, I listened to a lot of grunge music because that's just what everyone at Best Buy listened to. And then late in the 90s, when we entered into a relationship with Jesus, I heard Christian music for the very first time. And that's not entirely true. The very first Christian cassette I ever purchased was in 1984 at a, at a summer conference for high school students. It was by Res Band. They used to be called Resurrection Band. So this is like early, early 70s to mid 80s um, Christian rock music. So that was, what I, that was kind of the only Christian thing I had. And then I started listening to more Christian music, like praise and, praise and worship music, what I would call contemporary Christian music um, in the late 90s. So a lot of like third day, Jars of Clay, uh, David Crowder Band, Chris Tomlin, all of these different things. 
And each one of those, like when I hear certain songs, I automatically associate with a time in my life. And one of the things that I've found as I've been in the church now for 20 plus years, um, we tend to think of music as worship. We tend to think of worship as music. So whenever we hear that word, we think of music. What, what song did they play? What style did they play? What were the lyrics in there? We tend to associate that. So over the next few months, what we're going to be talking about here on Sunday morning is we're going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about what it actually means to engage God. And music is far more than what we do on a Sunday morning. It's more than music. Worship is actually everything in everything that we do. I found this quote this week by uh, Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor. He says this, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is a strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. See, it's really easy for us to be preoccupied with ourselves. It's really easy for us to be focused on ourselves. And things like music can make it really easy for us to do that, especially today, right? We all carry around, as I said, we all carry a stereo around in our pockets with us. And there are all sorts of music apps that we can find to play the kind of music that we like. And I think one of the, one of the good things about that is if we want to hear a certain song, we can listen to it. But one of the bad things about it is we can start to narrowly understand what praise and worship is. I can't worship God unless I hear this kind of music. I can't worship God unless I hear this style of music. If I don't hear him, it's not worship. If I don't hear a praise song or a contemporary chorus, I can't worship. And see, when we... When we articulate our playlists in that way, and I have a million playlists, I'm right in this with you. But when we articulate our music in this way, we can have a really narrow, narrow-minded idea of what worship is. And we can only think we worship in certain ways and with certain styles. So today we're going to read through Exodus 15. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how music can teach us what worship is is. So this is going to sound a little close to this edge because I said music isn't worship and worship isn't, isn't music. But music can give us an idea of what it means to worship. And this song in Exodus 15 is a great example of that. We're going to see four different things today. The first is worship is the only proper response to the rea- we, excuse me, worship is the only proper response to the reality that God has delivered us. So if I've been delivered from something, the only proper response that I have is to worship God. Worship's the recognition that only God is worthy to be praised and lifted up as the ultimate thing. There are lots of things in our lives that we, we place value on. There are lots of things in our lives that we find priority in, but only one of those things is an ultimate thing, and that ultimate thing is God. Worship's also a proclamation of identity, 
Worship places us into the story of God and his faithfulness to his people. Worship places us into the story of God and faithfulness to his people. And lastly, worshiping God teaches and encourages others by proclaiming what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. See, when we worship together, we are proclaiming what God has done, is doing, and what God will do. We're proclaiming that to God, and we're proclaiming it to one another. We're proclaiming it to other people. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the lyrics we sang this morning. So if you don't know, if you don't know the Bible story, kind of where things are at in the book of Exodus, the people are enslaved in Egypt. And the first uh, 14 chapters detail that slavery and detail how God delivers his people from that slavery. So they were there for 400 years. And what is the people's response? This is Exodus 14, verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians. So remember, this is the part in the story that we're all familiar with. You don't have to be a church person or a Christian to know this story. They're up against the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea, right? They walk through the Red Sea. When they get to the other side, the Egyptians start to follow after them. And then the water comes and kills all of the Egyptians. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. So they were delivered from something, and then they responded. They responded properly. It says they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So what we're going to read today in Exodus 15 is this song where God is going to recount to the people what he has done. And this is going to do two things. It's going to help them to not forget God. Isn't it easy to forget God? When things are bad, we call upon God, and then they kind of turn around, and what do we normally do? We forget the goodness of God. We write off what God has done to something that we have done. And it's going to encourage them to press on. So the Israelite people are on their way to the promised land. And they're about to face all sorts of trials and tribulations. So what God is going to do through this song is he's going to remind them to not forget who he was and to encourage them to press on. This is Exodus 15 verses 1 through 2. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. So notice the progression here. The experience that the Israelites had led to worship. The experience the Israelites had led to worship. They sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. So here's the very first thing that we see. The worship of God is the only proper response 
to the reality that God delivered them from the Egyptians. This is the only proper response was to worship God. It says they sang to the Lord. They didn't sing to other gods. They didn't praise other gods. They just left Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years, where they were exposed to the gods of the Egyptians, to the gods and goddesses of the Egyptians, to the spiritual beings that the Egyptians worshipped. And when they were delivered by God, they didn't worship any of those gods. They only praised to the Lord. And I want you to notice that this is, this is something they did together. Verse 1, then Moses and the people. Moses and the people. This was, this was a corporate activity. This wasn't just reserved for, for, the, for the people who are, are up on stage. This isn't just reserved for the people who are gifted and talented at playing musical instruments. Or who can sing on key. Or who can have, who have perfect pitch. I am none of those people. Right? All of the people participated. This is corporate. They're all recognizing God for what he did. So we worship, as we think about what this kind of means for us, we worship then because it's our only proper response that God has delivered us from our sin. See, so the Israelites, they're delivered from slavery in Egypt. They praise God. For us today, we have been delivered from our sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our proper response as a group is to praise, is to worship. And if you notice in there, you'll see verse 2. You'll see the word my a few times. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. See, just because they're doing this corporately, just because they're doing this as a group doesn't mean there's not an individual aspect to it. This is us and it is me. This is something that they have experienced for themselves. One of the things I read last week said this, God is not some nostalgic memory. He's someone that the Israelites know for themselves. Sometimes it's easy for us to look back on the past, right? Rose-colored glasses, things are always better in the past. We know they really weren't, but it just kind of seems that way. The God that's being talked about here is not just some nostalgic memory of a, of a better time when 40 or 50 years ago in the United States, when everyone just seemed more Christian, right? It's not nostalgia. They have experienced God's delivery for themselves. So they are praising him. Here's verse three. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. 
I want you to notice that God aggressively defends his people. God fights for his people. God fights for you. Isn't that good news? Don't we want someone to defend us? Don't we want someone to fight for us? This is who God is. The Lord is a warrior. So when we trust in the Lord, we use the weapons of praise and proclamations to win our battles. This is one of the songs we sang earlier. See, worship is an opportunity to fight battles. And we don't fight in the way the world fights. We fight differently. The Lord is fighting for us. Let's read verses 4 to 10 together. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Do you hear the praise? Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword and my powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So one of the things that we can see in this is that when God's people are attacked, God sees them as attacks on himself. God is not so separated from us that when we are attacked, he's not attacked. He's not included in that. One of the things I think we struggle with is we think about the concept of who our enemies are. And our enemies are not just people who are against us. And I mean like this in the biblical sense. I don't just mean people who vote differently than you. Or who are in a different social class than you. Or who think differently about different things. When we have legitimate enemies and they're and they legitimate spiritual enemies... They're not just fighting us. They are against God. And what we can see here when we read through Exodus 15 is those enemies, our most powerful enemies, really don't have any power. See, Egypt at this time was the most powerful nation state in the world. Nobody messed with Egypt. And to God, they were nothing. They were nothing. They didn't, they didn't count. They had no real power. The text tells us that they are dust. So as we think about the spiritual enemies that we face, I mean, the, again, the real spiritual enemies that we face, those things have no power over you. Those things have no real strength over you because they are against God and if God is the person that, that we read about in his word, then we have nothing to fear when we face spiritual enemies. You have nothing to fear when you face spiritual enemies. 
And our culture so operates on fear. Everything you watch on TV is designed to get you to be afraid. To make you fear. And as people who are followers of Christ, we have nothing to fear. We have something in whom we can place our trust. Let's read verses 11 through 12. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed your enemies. See, true worship acknowledges the one true God. Notice this section begins with, who who is like you? God, who is like you? And the answer is, No one. None of the Egyptian gods are anything like God. You may not know this, but the plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians, each one of those plagues was designed to go against an Egyptian God. To demonstrate that God was more powerful than any of the Egyptian gods, culminating in the blacking out of the sun. See, the ultimate God to the Egyptians was Ra, the God of the sun. So when God blots out the sun from the sky and makes it dark, which God wins? The Lord, all gods bow, all other gods bow to the one true God. Here's verse 13. With your unfailing love, You lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. I love this so much. We talked about it last week. And I just cut and pasted part of last week's message right into here. God's purpose, according to verse 13, is that we might be near to him to worship him. This is what God wants. God is calling us near to him to worship him. We are not worshiping God from a distance. This is Exodus 3, verse 18. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. See, God doesn't want worship from a distance. God doesn't want to be separated from his people. God doesn't want to be separated from you. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. He wants to worship you, or he wants you to worship him. He wants to be in relationship up close with you. See, what God has for them is to not not worship some distant God. And I think it can be really easy for us as we think about what we do as Christians to worship a distant God. To see maybe what's happening up on stage and, and because maybe we're not, again, we're not musically talented or we're not gifted with a voice we might think that, that God is distant from us. But he's not. He desires 
relationship. This is what I talked about last week. God sent Adam and, set Adam and Eve in the garden. They were to be like him, ruling and reigning over creation. And according to Genesis 3, the Lord God walked with them. See, God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with them. He's calling them into the desert to worship him so he can be with them. The purpose of the tabernacle and the temple was that God would dwell among his people. See, God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. God doesn't just love you because he loves everyone. God actually likes you. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? Sometimes we think the only reason that God loves us is because he loves everyone. Well, he has to. I mean, he's God. God actually likes you. God actually pursues a relationship with you. And ultimately, this is why Jesus came. He's Emmanuel. And if you remember, Emmanuel literally means God with us. So God wants to be with you. God wants us to dwell with him. So when we praise God, whether it's through music or through service or through giving or every other aspect of our lives, when we worship him, we're praising him because he wants to be with us. We're praising him because we get to be with him. This is an opportunity for us. Here's verses 14 and 15. The peoples hear and tremble. Anguish grips those who live in Philistia. The leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. So here's what's happening at this point in this psalm, in this song that Moses is singing. Moses and all the people are singing. They're starting to look ahead. See, they've been delivered by God. God is telling them what a relationship with him looks like. And the people are praising him because of that. And then what he's saying is, you are about to go into a land that is going to be made up of people who not only don't want you in there, but they don't want me to be their God. And they are going to fight you as you enter into that space. So what God is doing, what Moses is doing, is he's giving them encouragement to press on. They're going to enter this promised land and they're going to face difficult times. I wonder what it would be like for you as you reflect on your own life and the challenges that you face and the difficult times that you face, if you could remember what God has done. If you could remember that God was with you, even in the most challenging and difficult times. I know some of the things that some of you deal with. God wants to be with you. He is with you. He wants you to press on. This is verses 16 and 17. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, reserved for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. See, Moses is continuing in this mindset of being future-focused. And some of us are so focused on our past hardships. Some of us are so focused on our present hardships. 
that we neglect looking back on what God has done for us. And one thing we can see from Scripture is it's filled with the way that God has delivered his people. God has faithfully delivered his people. This is why we encourage you to read the Bible. It's why we encourage you to spend time in small group. So we can read and we can see how God has delivered his people and we can be encouraged by it. Here's verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Isn't that comforting to us? That the Lord is going to reign forever and ever? Forever and ever. See, Pharaoh asked Moses this question in Exodus 5. The scene is this. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. We want to go worship God. God is calling us out in the desert to worship him. And Pharaoh asks this question, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? The Lord? Who's the Lord? Why should I let you go? And what happens is the next 10 chapters answer those questions. The Lord proves and demonstrates and shows who he is to Pharaoh. He cannot be thwarted. No matter what God the Egyptians put up against the Lord, each and every one of them falls. Because God has the ultimate victory. God is the God who will reign forever and ever. This is the Lord we worship. So when we, when we do gather together, this is the being that we are talking about here. This is the Lord. Here's Exodus 15, 19 through 21. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and the charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. This is a little bit of repetition, right? Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Now, I know it's 2022, at this time in history, the men and the women worshipped separately. You don't have to like that. Just, it's just what it says. The women and the men worshipped separately. But I want you to notice the song. I want you to notice the similarity between verse 1 and verse 21. Verse 1 says this. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He's hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Verse 21, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He's hurled both horse and rider into the sea. There's a pretty good chance that they all sang the entire song. He just sang it separately. And one of the things that we have the opportunity to do is to sing together is to worship God together, to worship God in unity. Because worshiping God brings unity. This is the reason, it is the worship of God that we do the things that we do. Worship is the reason we gather, we give, we serve, and we go. Unity doesn't just happen, it's something that we must contend for 
So as I think about, again, music isn't worship, worship isn't music. I think when we sing music and when we have opportunity to praise God through music, that's an opportunity for us to demonstrate unity. It's an opportunity for us to all to participate, even when we play the songs that you don't like. Even when we play the songs that I don't like. I've told Cody this before. It's no surprise. I don't like personally as a preference all of the music that we sing here. Can I tell you something? We're not praising me. We're not praising my preferences. We are praising God. The music that we sing here isn't about me. It's about God. And we have such an opportunity when we gather together to proclaim as one voice. I'm going to go back to that Eugene Peterson quote. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation, paraphrase, with our favorite musical style and attend to the presence of God. You hear that? Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So one of the things that crazy Christians like me believe is that God is here. His presence is in this place. So what that means is, when we have opportunity to praise him through music, I need to set aside my preference and pay attention to God. Even when I don't like the song, even when I don't like the style. This is not about that for me. We're going to be united. And what brings us together in unity is Jesus Christ. See, there are so many things as a culture that divide us. Our political affiliations, our economic status, our social differences. But what brings us together is unity in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ... We want to have a place, we want to have a church, we want to have a body where we can all gather where your social status doesn't matter. Just because we, we may not live in the same neighborhood, just because we may not vote for the same person, just because we may not have the same amount of money, see, those things are nothing compared to the unity that we have in Christ. Worshiping God teaches and encourages others by proclaiming what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. See, when we worship together, what we are doing is we're participating in mutual teaching and encouragement. This is such an opportunity for us as we gather together for one body to teach one another and to encourage one another. Because while we are singing to God, what we're really doing is teaching one another about the realities of God. And one of the things I know, like this is not about music. We're using music to explain worship. One of the amazing things about music is it makes theology stick. 
Like there's a reason that I can hear something from Fleetwood Mac rumors and not only be teleported back to my dad's Volkswagen bug in the eight track, but I can know the lyrics, right? Have them in my head. Singing makes our theology stick. This is why, and Cody talked about this last week, this is why AJ and Riley are singing last year's VBS songs. Because it's sticking in their heads. It's theology that sticks. It's why many of us have favorite songs that, that transport us back to a different time. And I would argue it's a primary way of hiding God's word in our hearts. Earlier today, we sang this song. We sang, Yes, I Will. The lyrics included this. I choose to praise, to glorify, to glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. Well, I wonder where that came from. Here's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms to the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. See, when we all stand together and we sing and we proclaim that nothing, you are the God, I choose to praise you, the name of all names that nothing can stand against, we're actually quoting scripture. We are getting scripture into our souls. We sang, raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. That's 1 Kings 18, 36 to 40, Psalm 23, 5, and Daniel 6, 10 to 11. We sang, I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. That's 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40. See, when we sing, when we worship God through music, we're hiding God's word in our hearts. And what I would encourage you to do each week is I want you to listen to what we're, what we're proclaiming. Not because it's a certain music style, not because it hits your preference button, but because it's worship of God. Earlier, I said that there were four things that we can learn from Exodus 15. Here they are again. These are all in the YouVersion app, by the way. Worship is the only proper response to the reality that God has delivered us. Worship is the recognition that only God is worthy to be praised and lifted up as the ultimate thing. Worship places us into the story of God and his faithfulness to his people. Worshiping God teaches and encourages others by proclaiming what he has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. And here's a fifth one. Worship is a display of unity. If all of life is worship, then everything we do is bent on unity. Each week at Westway Christian Church, we take communion together. I want to encourage you to take out your Take out your communion elements right now. Communion is a huge part of unity within the church. One of the texts that we frequently read from on Sunday mornings as we think about community, about communion, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, and they're pretty much a disaster. And here's what's happening. People are getting together for the gathering. And they're not waiting for everyone. See, they were, they were a church that was divided by social class. 
We're going to talk more about this later this year when we read through the book of Romans together. Most of the people who were alive when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Corinth were have-nots. Most of the people who were alive when Paul was writing this letter to Corinth worked for, were slaves to someone else. Some of those people were Christians. Some of the people they worked for were Christians, so some of the slaves were Christians. So they would gather together, and what would happen is all of the people like, who didn't have jobs or who had other people do jobs for them, they would gather together as a body, and what they would do is they would have communion first. They would eat all of the good food. They would drink all of the good wine. Paul chastises them for getting drunk. And Paul is not happy about this practice. Because these early Christians, and we have to remember when we read a letter in the New Testament, we have to remember that, that these letters are written to churches. It's so easy for us to think that letters in the New Testament are written to non-believers, but these are letters, these are instructions written to churches. These are people who are letting their social distinctions remove them from their purpose, remove them from unity. So Paul tells them, you need to wait. You need to wait till everyone is together because the church is not something that's built on social class or economic stability or any of those other things. The church is something that's built around Christ. And communion is something that is built around Christ. We take the body and the blood of Christ together for a reason. It's meant to be a unifying thing that we all do together. Here at Westford Christian Church, we practice open communion. Here's what that means. If you're a follower of Christ, this, this is for you. We invite you to participate in this with us together. But open communion doesn't mean it's for everyone. This is for people who are actually in a relationship with Jesus, for people who have placed their faith and their hope and trust in Jesus. That's who communion is for. And Paul goes on a little later in 1 Corinthians 11, and he warns the church at Corinth. He says, don't eat or drink this in an unworthy manner. And then he says something for our mindset that is really crazy. He says, it is for this reason that some of you are sick and some of you have even, some have even died. So this, this thing that we do together matters. And it's not for everyone. It's for everyone who believes that Jesus is their Lord. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to participate in communion with us. You can take out the top piece bread. This represents Christ's body that is broken for you. And this juice represents Christ's blood that is poured out for you. Will you pray with me? God, we worship you. We are here to worship you. We are here to set aside our preoccupation with ourselves 
and attend to the presence of you. We're here to praise you. I ask God as the next, as we spend time together over the next two months, talking about worship, why we worship, who we worship, where we worship, and why all of this matters, that we would never forget that this is about you. This is about celebrating the sacrifice that you have made for us because the only proper response to deliverance from our sin by your son is worship. Help us to be faithful in that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.